Hello and welcome back to Podcasting is Practice. I'm David, my pronouns are he and him. Hello, I'm James and my pronouns are Elden and Ring. Uh, I'm Jamie, my pronouns are he and him. Hi, I'm Rob and mine are he and him. And I'm Alistair and I'm also he and him. And at least at least James wasn't typing this time. Uh, yeah, no, still unforgivable. Unforgivable crimes. Put the fucking controller down. <laughs> Fine. You'd think fucking about 39 hours or some shit would have been enough of it for you, but no. Honestly, I'm kind of, I suspect it might be a withdrawal, genuinely. Like last night, I didn't play and um, I promptly got food poisoning. Now, I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm not saying that my body's become dependent on Elden Ring and I'm getting withdrawal symptoms, but I'm not not saying it either. Basically, uh, yeah. Is okay. the um is the food poisoning like a, a a side effect of the EDS? See, I I don't know, right? Genuinely, um, because like not 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 like take the pisser out, but you've had food poisoning like more times than everyone else I've ever known in my life put together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so <laughs> it's not. It's really mild. Like I definitely had. It was no doubt about it. Food poisoning some time ago, right? And then. The stuff, like, so what it was is I ordered, uh, a, so I ordered a takeaway meal that was a deal on Friday, right, before I started the stream, because I'm like, okay, I'm going to need food over the next few days, and I'm not going to have time to cook if I'm going to really commit to this. So I got one of these things where it's like a pizza, a pasta, and a starter. And what I did was I ate the starter and put the pizza and pasta straight in the fridge, right? And then on the Saturday, I ate the pizza. And then... Sunday morning into early Monday morning, I heated up and ate the pasta. Two and a half it, days. Like, yeah, okay, I that's mean, this, this, was, this was clearly fucking food poisoning. Like. Yeah, <laughs> um, it, tasted, it tasted okay. There were a couple of bites that were a little weird, and I was like, I'm sure it's fine. It didn't taste poisony. <laughs> yeah, so... Here's the thing, like, usually they say... My health bar didn't turn green, so I assume it was fine. (laughs) I mean, that is kind of how I'm seeing the world right now. To be honest, Jamie, I'm just sizing you up and wondering if I get a good Ash of War if I drop you. Um, But yeah, no, so, like, it's it's probably definitely food poisoning. I mean, I don't don't think you can take Jamie, to be honest with you, James. (laughs) The rewards aren't worth it anyway. I've not actually seen Jamie. Not unless you unless you want like a fucking enchanted wrist brace or some shit, I might drop one of those. <laughs> like, I mean, if if I was to, if it was to rank the difficulty, obviously the hardest person is going to be Rob because he lives in a spooky castle, and you know, Lord of Spooky Castle is definitely up there as like a boss concept in Elden Ring. So yeah, definitely, Jamie, I think would be like a mini boss, essentially like the Skeleton King or something like that. Um, Alistair and David, I'm not so sure about. I suspect David is like the depressed guy who sits next to the starting area and goes, I don't see why you're bothering. We're all doomed. So, because that's very kind of Elden Ring, on Dark brand. Souls. Yeah, it's on brand. Alistair, though, Alistair, I think, is just like an invader and just like periodically turns up just to wreck my shit and go away again. I think that's how it kind of works. I'm just picturing like a queue of fucking like gamers outside my door trying to figure out what special like fucking item they need to bring so that I actually come out and fight them instead of just tell them to fuck off. With <laughs> a letterbox or whatever, you know what I mean? Uh, okay, let's let's get started. We've got a couple of news nuggets and uh, a little article read. Uh, thankfully, a little article read. And then we have uh, the, the mystery box main topic that mm-hmm. Rob has so diligently fucking prepared and has poisoned my DMs with all day. Um... Yeah, we'll get there in a bit. 
but there's the navy invented a new kind of helicopter or some shit. Oh, I no, wish. I wish. not quite. This is it does follow <laughs> one of our other like pod obsessions though, but not quite military toys this time. Yeah, oh, we'll get I was going to we'll get there. My money was on railgun. Maybe that's because Jamie was talking to me about railguns earlier, but I've got a massive fucking spoonful of vegetables here. Eat the vegetables and then the dessert. So, <laughs> first up, some good news. Veggies you like. Uh, strikes. So, we've got a couple of strikes ongoing at the minute, which are creating are some... They, are these um, of the nuclear news. variety, or have I just been... No, <laughs> no, no, no. I'll get on to them next. <laughs> so, my God, just like, that would be a hell of a way to find out. We're just sitting here recording a podcast today, and it's like, yes, the nukes are in flight. There's Again, your, there, there, there's you your nice know. veggies. You will know when the nukes are in flight because you will hear the sound of my car in the background. So, <laughs> Speeding these towards are good. the detonation. Correct, yes. So the London Underground is pretty much completely shut today and that has completely fucked the rest of transport in London because obviously everyone that gets the tube can't get the tube today and this is bad for some reason. Yeah, but, like, what if you can't get to work? Like, that's really inconsiderate. Why should people who have the power to shut down vital parts of the economy use that power? That's just unfair. I, I don't want this. Damn, mm. it sounds like you should, like, support them so that they don't have to do this or some shit. Yeah, but what if I also don't want to pay them? Just pedestrianise London. <laughs> With a small nuclear warhead. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say... Careful, Rob. I think I see a spectre taking form behind you. It looks a lot like Bob Crow. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the RMT union is on strike because Transport for London announced a cut of between 500 and 600 station jobs. Damn. And that's in the shadow of a pre-pandemic review of the pension scheme. Ah, the gold-plated pension scheme. We talked about this in the episode uh, about yes. the London mayoral race. Well, mm. I think Transport for London can get it fucking up them. Mm-hmm. They, yeah, they can and they will. I think they are, actually, if you look at the strike. Yeah, quite fucking roundly. So I think Sadiq Khan wanted to, well, aim to get £100 million a year saved in pension reforms, which surely won't have any knock-on effects to union members at all. That's not going to happen. Uh, of the eligible members, 51.7% of them voted. 4,900 of which said yes versus 307 nice. who said no. So that's a lovely little fucking uh, majority there. And the strike went ahead after talks, which were being mediated by ACAS, broke down when Transport for London, um, this is a quote from the union, confirmed all the union's worst fears that nothing is off the table in terms of the threat to jobs, pensions, conditions and safety. Ah. Oh, good. Mm. Well, I don't need that stinking safety on my mass transit, bunch of cowards. <laughs> no, yeah, fuck because that. famously, railroads of all varieties are very, very safe, irrespective of the amount of money and, a t- and uh, staff that are dealing with them. I think if Sadiq, if Sadiq Khan wants to wants to find a hundred million quid somewhere, he should put a can of beans in a tube sock and get himself down to the fucking treasury. <laughs> I mean, this is part of it, isn't it? Because there was uh, this is because of Rona, because the TFL had like a massive loss. So then they were backstopped by the government. But the government said, "Yeah, but now we want a big say in how it's run." Or like they took over the fact, the de facto running of it through like the um, power of the purse. And now the treasury, which has been after partially. TFL pensions for like a long time, if I remember this correctly. 
with the the pension review that said it was going to save a hundred million quid by from twenty twenty five or some shit. Um, that was actually commissioned before the pandemic, so that's already been ongoing for quite a oh, while. Okay. Yeah, but it's not. Yeah, other things did develop during the pandemic with the government really kind of putting the squeeze on can to mm. try and like force them out of the job basically. And yeah, rocking a hard place. It's, it's the usual fucking argument that people make about, well, if you've got a nationalised industry and then the Tories are in power, then how can you possibly defend it? But this is how you defend it with strikes. So um, I, I don't know about you, but I'm generally of the view that I want my transport to be as unsafe as possible and I want the person who's responsible for the transport to be totally mentally unsound unhappy with life and ready to just bail out of it at a moment's notice i find that's a good recipe for me getting from a to b while you know in one piece intact and oh, well, feeling like i'm living yeah. well james you would have loved network rail prior to like 1992 <laughs> but only good things happened with the rails in that in that period alistair it's fine like you know <laughs> and i will not be looking into this any further no yes. The station jobs that they're looking to cut are, you know, they're not on trains this time. This isn't like a driverless trains thing that they're trying to push, at least at this juncture. But those same arguments about um, removing staff from stations have been made on, like, actual main rail lines. Uh, ScotRail had a big thing about that a couple of years ago, if you remember, James. Yeah. And, like, the the amount of fucking fight back against it's admirable because as much as, like, yeah, fair enough, so that person who's not at the station anymore can't do anything with the train... But all sorts of shit can happen at a train station. It's good to have a kind of like set point of contact that you know yep. there'll be someone working there if the worst was to happen. So, yeah, fuck them. Uh, there's loads of reasons to have these staff. There's about fuck all good reasons to get rid of them. So, great. And you know that the strike's good because some of the worst cunts about are seething fucking mad over it. Yeah, so it means it's effective. The fucking Telegraph, the Telegraph has compared them to like the striking... Uh, Workers to Putin apologists or ah, call of them course. Putin apologists. I, I am I am here for this new development in our discourse. Where yeah, well, don't they know there's because... a war on? Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Well, the chief exec of business group London First, so a prick, uh, said with another strike announcement, the RMT is playing Russian roulette with the recovery yet again. Now that what? analogy doesn't fucking hold. He just wanted to like say a word that had Russia in it. To fucking make the connection, but during the pandemic, they they couldn't work. They didn't work because of the pandemic. That comparison, like, yes, on its face, doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean the thing is, TFL was operating and like the the tube was on all through the pandemic, pretty much just for like you know as as an, an actual transport route that medical staff etc required. So union members were actually out at risk to themselves working throughout it, and they've all to fuck off now. Uh, like they actually went through all that shit. They didn't put up some kind of fucking hard fight against it, as they rightly fucking could have, but they didn't because medical staff, etc., you know, were deemed more important during a pandemic, and that's you know, fair enough. But yeah. the um, the, the the prick went on. Uh, this is a reckless approach at a time when the city needs to be pulling together to get people back to offices, restaurants, ah, shops, theatres, and more. Yeah. <laughs> People Listen need to give back track. to making sure that I get my commercial rents. Yeah, mm-hmm. commercial commercial landlords should just all like fucking get an all-inclusive holiday to go and visit the Great Wall of China. Quite frankly, sooner <laughs> rather than later. 
I, I do I do love the messages basically prol Preamanger's profits are more important than your livelihood, your yep. life and your future. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Um Ian Martin of the Times uh had this to say. Well done to the RMT. After a pandemic and in the middle of a war, a war that we are again not taking part in, what the capital really needed was a tube strike. <laughs> What the capital really needs is a Times columnist seeking missile. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's like the three worst things that can happen, isn't it? A pandemic, a war, and a tube strike. Those are all three perfectly yeah. equatable things. The three genders. I think the uh, RMT yeah, should <laughs> run like one particular, like just one underground line. Essentially, just you can only get it on if you show up wearing wearing a hat with one of those little press cards in it and then it should take you straight to the airport so you can go to the volunteer battalion and that's the one train yeah. that should run <laughs> yes um well done everyone heels to rapid automation and driverless trains said the man who understands fuck all about what he's complaining about yeah like so here's the thing about driverless trains for a second because you occasionally hear us trot it out and it's like I think it's a genius idea to not have a person around holding a failsafe because, uh, you know, what what possible scenario could you get into that would require you to hit a, an emergency stop button as a driver? Um, you know, I mean, I can't imagine, say, someone going to step on the train, the doors shutting too close, grabbing their arms, the failsafes not recognising that they've got an obstruction and the train taking off and dragging someone. I can't see that happening. Yeah, but so... Mm-hmm. James, I mean, even, like, even, the thing by is, their own, even by their own, like, you know, the outcome that they want, which is like there are no more workers that can strike uh, because of bad conditions, etc., on uh, the underground. If you have driverless trains, all you've done is you've taken the driver from the train and put them in an office. That's literally all you've done. Yes. Yeah, I mean, like, we can't even make driverless cars. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know how <laughs> we're going to get like a train to work. Oh, it's, it's simple. What we do is we bore a tunnel and put the driverless car in the tunnel. <laughs> oh, so the tube? Uh, no, no, I think it's called some kind of Hyperloop thing. I don't know. I need to look into it. Oh, fair enough. Right, well, only, that's, that only works if, if we put people on pallets now, and only if they travel to Neon. I mean, the thing is, it's like... <laughs> we They'll eventually, they'll eventually like, push through driverless trains because, like, oh, it saves money and we don't have to deal with the pesky labour unions anymore. And then eventually they'll have to, like, invent, like, some kind of fucking Dalek to, like, patrol the tracks because, like, someone will figure out that if you, if you like, piss through a vent on the street, it, like, shorts out all the fucking sensors and the train, like, explodes or something. Do you know what I mean? Or it's possible to just, like, go down there with, like, an, an air rifle and shoot out one fucking sensor and the whole, like, the whole tube stops working. To be fair, some... I'm pretty sure both of those things would be picked up in Glasgow, like, during the testing phase. Yeah. Also, I'm I'm very excited for the exoneration and return of a Luddite, so that's going to be pretty cool. Mm. <laughs> yes. For anyone, um, for anyone who doesn't know, the Luddites, they were not against technology. They were not against advance and progress in technology. They had actual political demands relating to the destruction of their way of life and, well, stuff that, you know what, just look out the window, you'll get it. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so um, that, that was a strike. Uh, good news, I have another strike to talk about. This is another good one. It's not the nuclear one. Oh, um, I yearn mean, for it. Yeah, I know for for different well, variations of the word "good," etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, the university and college union (UCU) is on strike. Uh, pretty much right across the country, sixty-eight universities just now are striking over a couple of issues. One of them on um, fair paying conditions, and one of them over a pensions dispute. 
See, I would, I, if I, if I was, if I was a member of that union, I would also be striking on the grounds of like, do you know what I mean? People like fucking Brendan O'Neill and Toby Young should just fuck off <laughs> instead of like constantly harping on about like fucking left wing bias on campus or whatever. I know, I know, fuckles. Well, to give an idea of the the situation with university staff at the moment, because none of us are, you know, involved with academics or anything like that, really. So. <sighs> Real pay at the moment for university staff is down 25.5% since 2009. Mm-hmm. Like, that's fucking ridiculous. Uh, the and hours, hours of work to have gone up as well. Like, I, I know oh, someone yeah, yeah, who yeah. Uh, is basically pretty much at the tail end of their uh, a- career in academia because they've just been you know, you know overworked yeah, to beyond, beyond human-like capacity, essentially. Well, and have have all these people? They've got like essentially these, four jobs at this university, and have all like, these overworked normal. and under underpaid people considered grifting? Because that's quite popular <laughs> yeah. with like former academics. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Just mean, like, yeah. make up some shit about how lobsters are actually wizards that like fucking. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Controlled mankind before the great flood or some shit and. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie, stop getting people in to compete with us. Stop it. Look, James, you've got Elden Ring. Jamie's got Phoenix Point, and that's just the way things are going to have to be. <laughs> so, to add to the uh, that fucking pay disparity from two thousand and nine, the gender, disability, and race pay gaps are respectively sixteen, nine, and seventeen percent. Jesus fucking and Christ! Is that good? Over Oh, that's really good. Um, yeah. Uh, over 70,000 academic staff are on insecure contracts. Yes. Is that it's, true? That's either it's, incredibly that's... short-term contracts or zero hours one. Zero hours being a massive problem within the uh, within the workforce. So, yeah. Cool. I was going to say, cool. that's, that's 70,000 people on um, shitty contracts is a huge proportion as well. It is... I might be misremembering this, but it's like in the high double digits, like thirty or forty percent, or some stupid number. Yeah, I mean, so, I'll be honest. Um, I was surprised by the number sixty-eight universities. I didn't think there were that many fucking universities in the country. So, oh no, there's yeah. loads. So, like uh, again, full disclosure, I am currently under contract of the Northern Independence Party, where one of my bosses there, so to speak, um, is Philip Proudfoot, uh, the leader of the party, and he is an academic. And he has just been nonstop on a tear about this, with good reason, to be honest. Mm. He's at the point where he's saying he cannot recommend anyone even think about going into any kind of work to do with academia at all. Well, that's how bad it's gotten. Yeah. He's like, don't make it a profession. Don't I'm do it. I'm quite glad I made the decision not to do that when, when like... I was offered the chance to like do more in, when I studied and like go towards a PhD. And I looked at some of the statistics and I was like, this seems stupid even You're for like, me. You're like, bitch, I'm going to become a podcaster. Yeah. <laughs> Get money is what I shouted. <laughs> yeah, but has has Philip considered like ex- like just selling books about how the Dragon of Chaos wants you to tidy your room because of the Swamp Witches or some shit? Strangely, strangely, some of Twitter do think he's up to that, but no, he hasn't. <laughs> oh, okay. So the, um, the solution to all this is fairly straightforward. It's a £2,500 rise in pay for all university staff, an end to the pay gaps uh, and the insecure contracts, and an improvement of the unmanageable workloads that Alistair mentioned. Pretty fucking simple, straightforward demands. Yep. That's nothing even to do with the pensions dispute, which obviously is its own thing. Also, even if you're like, like, even if you're like a student, it's like, 
your education is not going to get any fucking better if your like teachers are constantly stressed out of their fucking gourd all the time. Like it, that that also not good. Well, students are students are a very mixed bag. I actually I, I did a temp job in a uni for a little while. Um, the amount of fucking students that were going in to complain and be like, I paid for this. Yeah. Why am I not getting the service I paid for? And it's like, oh, you horrible, stunted little motherfuckers. <laughs> like, just... I, like, I, I saw, <laughs> someone, I saw someone, someone make this point on Twitter earlier, which was that, you know, if staff go on strike and lectures aren't on, motherfucker, have you ever met a student? Have you ever seen, like, essentially the frivolity with which they treat lectures? Yeah. A lot of the time you on. say that, you yeah. say that, but where do you think briefcases are born, mate? Like, yeah. that's the thing. I mean, it's like, it's like the the amount of fucking like debt you end up getting, like going to university these days. You would expect, like, you know what I mean, the the education to be better. But the solution mm-hmm. to that is not to complain about fucking strikes. It's to support the strikes. Yeah, yeah. But also, if you're the kind of like, if you're the kind of student who when faced with like a fucking like lecturer, like a a strike of lecturers would just like complain rather than just sack it off and like get drunk every day, then I'm gonna come round and give you a swirly and like empty your briefcase out in the street. Yeah, that's well, true. I've got some good news for you. Um, there's about a million students that are impacted by these strikes at the moment, mm-hmm. and some of them are absolutely doing comradely shit. So in Manchester, a building has been occupied by students in solidarity. That's mm-hmm. always nice. That's cool. And Good. In Cardiff, uh, the one of the student unions has organised uh, a walkout, which is going to coincide with the, the last day of the strikes, and that's over changes to the student loan system, which is going to make it more difficult for people from poorer backgrounds to actually get into yeah. university. And they'll do that. Just the thing where you can't the, you can't have a loan unless you've got like a fucking English. GCSE or some, some shit. shit. Yeah, like it's you yeah, can't get yeah. a loan unless you get um uh like passing marks in English and maths. Fuck. Which again would have precluded me because I never ever in my life got a passing grade in maths. Uh-huh. What what was a pass what was a passing grade in those just out of interest? Uh, six <laughs> six out of ten. I love that you're the podcast numbers guy as well. That's just fucking great. Because <laughs> I, like, I, I mean, the the best I ever did at like GCSE English was a D. Ah, okay, yeah. No, that I was, was quite the, that good was at on English. the first. I got a D on the first try, and then every every subsequent attempt got worse because everyone was like, <laughs> "Oh, you can't can't go to college unless you've got like a C or above in English." I and, walked a, a B in higher English with putting no work in the entire year because I figured out the cheat codes for English and standard grade. And I just didn't bother my arse, went in and just did it. And it was that easy because it's it's a bullshit subject that's taught like shit in school. <laughs> so let's let's uh let's breeze past grades chat and um just say that when I was at university, there was a French student I knew. Um well, I say French, like not as in they were studying French, but as in they were from France over studying at Glasgow University for god knows what reason. And um, I remember, says. yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and uh, I remember they, their minds were utterly blown by strike action and the way people behaved around it over here. Like they, they were like, I don't oh, understand. Right, okay. There is a strike on. <laughs> why? Why are? <laughs> I thought you were trying to imply a French person could be surprised by a strike. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 To the contrary, no. they're like, why to... are there no JCBs up in this? I was bitch? just going to say, like, <laughs> yeah. was there confusion? Like, why are you making me like take like stop this like fucking tractor full of manure? 
you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> the, 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 confu- the confusion was, why aren't there people out joining them on the picket line? Yeah. Um, why hasn't anything been pushed over? <laughs> this picket line remains suspiciously unburned. <laughs> yeah. Um, wh- where are the, where is all the shouting and where are the crowds was a particular phrase. And why are people going in and out of the building still? And I had to explain people were crossing the picket line and they honestly... They seriously looked like I just fed them a shit sandwich when I explained to them. <laughs> that's that's the situation with the strikes. Um, solidarity from us to you know everyone that's that's striking. Hope you get what you're fucking wanting and deserving. And uh, yeah, fuck all the cunts that are making you have to do this in the first place. Yeah. And fuck all so, scabs. If you work at a job where you're not striking, you should consider it. <laughs> yeah. mm, yes, <laughs> we can say that we are generally in favour of strikes. Yes, um, except for the next kind of strike, which is the uh, possible nuclear the, strikes that of could the nuclear um, variety. Yes, yeah, that, that could very, very quickly uh, little, little our lives and the, the planet. So that's that's cool. So um, we had to cut a whole section out of the podcast last week because uh, things happened after we recorded them. And yet here we are doing it again. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay, Jamie. We won't have to cut it out next time if we're wrong. No, uh, that's also, true. Yeah, we won't because it just will not be released at all. Yeah. <laughs> if you, listener of the far future, have dug up our time capsule and have found this episode, we wish you and your mutant family good luck in the wasteland. <laughs> I, no shit. I'm seriously tempted to record a dead man's hand kind of podcast episode, upload it with a, a release date, and then if I'm not allowed around to stop the release date, it just releases via, you know, you know. <laughs> playing taps or something i don't know that's that's a bold piece of faith in british infrastructure right there yeah <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's faith in capitalist infrastructure but sure uh, fair enough okay so um i thought we'd just quickly recap where we are uh first off uh it's war uh, uh. <laughs> uh yeah uh, yeah i don't really have much more to say to that like uh russia has invaded ukraine etc etc like, we, we all know we all know where that is yeah we, we, we know where things are uh the f- funny or not so much haha but the kind of weird funny stuff is and the rhetoric around that so the first kind of big what the fuck moment was uh was liz trust personally changing the defcon status of russia <laughs> yes fantastic I, this like I'm not even joking people like liz trust will be the reason yes. that we all get nuked Yes. Like not just her uniquely, but just people like her all are them. going to yeah. get us all nuked. Yeah. This is this is what happens when you have an entire generation of children that have like well, I say generation, like class of children that had no hmm. boundaries or concept of consequences at any point in their lives. Yeah. 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 I mean, so basically what happened here was Liz Trust went on to BBC Breakfast, I think it was, and uh started talking about how nuclear weapons are like considerable things that everyone should keep in mind etc and you know completely fucking unnecessarily and a few hours later the russian nuclear forces went on special alert and i think it was uh i think it was the foreign uh minister for russia said i'm not naming names but it was the British Foreign Secretary when asked who was responsible. 
<laughs> so oh. good. <laughs> yeah. We should call her so L Truss. <laughs> yeah, it was the, uh, it, I believe, David, it was ahead of their MOD, essentially. Oh, excellent. Good. Yeah, um, fantastic. <laughs> So that's um that 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 obviously is on top of like all the sanctions and stuff which were there and then weren't enough because the media screamed a lot and then they were made more and that that you'll see that pattern kind of repeating a little bit as I go on here. So um to top that off, uh, Putin is now up for the uh, prime ministership of Britain uh, because the BBC asked the question, would he push the button? Um, and has been asking it loudly across many articles that are constantly fucking pushed out by the website. So that's cool. It is, I just have to say, it is really kind of funny in a ha-ha way what, uh, like, the Warhawk liberals in this country are discovering about what nuclear, being a nuclear-backed country means. Because, yeah, it means you can just have total impunity. Yeah, you have, like... Why did no one really lift a finger to stop the US invading Iraq? Because they are a nuclear-backed mm-hmm. nation that cannot be stopped. Yeah, unless yeah. And you Iraq, want to on the wage hand, a nuclear war and uh, Armageddon across the world. Yeah, and it's Iraq, the same by co- any, contrast, yeah. does not have one, so they can be invaded. It also works yeah, that yes. way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I yes. mean, like, you know, objectively, right, just let's all take a step back from whether we like them or not. Objectively, North Korea getting nuclear weapons was the unambiguously correct and smart thing oh, for oh, them yeah, to 100%. do mm-hmm. yeah. to ensure their also, survival. It's also why the Iranians should have one. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it was it was really funny when Matt Chrisman uh, did a, a interview with uh, yes. some, some fucking... No, um, that was not Matt Chrisman. That was the other guy who shan't be named no more from... No, uh, it was, it was Matt Chrisman and It was him, Matt Chrisman and oh, okay. him, yes, both of them together. Matt Chrisman and Hatsune Miku. <laughs> But yeah, he made the point that uh, Iran, Iran should have the bomb, if, if like mm. in, purely in terms of their own um, yeah right to self determination, essentially. Because yeah, the smart it's the tactical only thing, move is to do that. Absolutely, because it's the only thing that would dissuade the West from actually attempting to invade. Well, what if I told you that um, you know, as as the fight in Ukraine continues and and we do this kind of rhetoric stuff that. The, the real war that's being fought here isn't between Russians and Ukrainians, but it's between the worms and the spiders that inhabit the brains of the liberal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I've got a few examples of weird shit and um, some severe misunderstanding that has occurred. Um, <laughs> Oprah has removed Tolstoy's War and Peace from the book oh club. Oh my God. That will yes. show him. <laughs> yeah, he'll be raging, won't he? fuck's sake um cancelled unbelievable in good news compare the market has pulled the meerkat ads yeah well this is <laughs> comparing comparing meerkats is tantamount to treason so i have to say the implication of that is fantastic because the implication is suggesting that the meerkat oligarch made his fortune by looting russia <laughs> like if you follow the I mean, logic through how, how else could a, meerk- could a meerkat get that rich honestly I mean, yeah, that's, honestly that's those those adverts have been one of the worst fucking like cultural stains on this country since their inception and i'm just yes. glad to see them finally get their fucking comeuppance yeah. so at least something good's <laughs> happened um, the a Russian conductor has been forced to resign as the honorary president of the Edinburgh International Festival, um, basically for failing to pass a purity test of not condemning the invasion. Now, before anyone asks me, the guy is very much considered to be 
a friend, a personal friend of Vladimir Putin, but I keep seeing the words considered to be before it as if it's some sort of like libel defence or something. I'm not quite sure what's going on there and how like genuinely connected the guy is. Considered to be just magic words. It's just like, um, we don't need to inquire anymore. So yeah, the, the, there is this issue with like kind of purity testing and stuff being done. As much as the guy like apparently was in favour of the annexation of Crimea and stuff, I don't think he's really been fucking... I, mean, I don't really know what the script here is. In the either way, it sets a bad precedent for other people, other just Russian people who happen to live here or some it shit. Is, like, it is they're not responsible. Of, it is all of the worst aspects of McCarthyism, but without even having a USSR to be against. Oh, do you know so what I saw? Yeah. It's, it's like, it, it's the British... It, it's not like... McCarthyism was like this whole thing where they were like, oh, we, we looked into this guy and we found this thing on a file and... British people haven't got time for that shit. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. it's like, oh, that guy's got like an accent that we don't recognize. He must be a Russian. Let's burn <laughs> so, down yeah. like this yeah, fucking house. Must... Do you know what I mean? So I've been thinking about this, right? And, you know, they've started saying like, oh, if you uh, support the strike actions of these unions, etc., then, you know, you're in cahoots with Russia and all this kind of shit. And I'm, I'm counting down the time until the Northern Independence Party gets it in the neck for being a separatist movement and therefore must be Russian back to some bullshit like this. Like, you can see it coming. <laughs> the North of England away. must be nuclear armed. <laughs> But this afternoon, this afternoon, we did find out what the Russian intelligence services are really up to, and I do think it is their most dastardly crime so far. And that is, they have started taking down George Monbiot's YouTube videos, and frankly, <laughs> oh, name me a greater God, crime yes. than that. Oh but, yeah, but more I, George Monbiot has gone full Cadwallader, and she is fucking going off on one just now as well. Oh, I bet it's like fucking all her Christmases come come at once. Oh, 100%, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all, all of her nine elevens have come at once, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> so I bet she's like I bet she's like staggering down a fucking dual carriageway like the end of like Invasion of the Body Snatchers right now. Do you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Do you know, I'm glad Elden Ring has taught me perseverance in the face of just being bulldozed over, because I would actually like to get this point out at some point. Yeah, well, have you tried rolling? <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> Parry this motherfucker. Anyway, um, what I was going to say is, I do wonder if the reason that a lot of the anti-left action was so successful back in the past was people got to wave the USSR boogeyman. And now, if that's explaining, like, is it going to fall flat on its arse this time because the USSR most certainly isn't commie anymore? Will, will cargo cult liberalism fail? Hmm. And see, that's the thing, right? I don't know. I don't know whether it's actually going to work or whether, you know, the old roots are so laid down that there's still a chance it will, like, fire the old synapses and I'll, people... Mm, I'll pause like, it that cargo know. cult liberalism fails in a vacuum. Um, or, sorry, without a vacuum of ideas. Like, it's, it doesn't take much to fucking push it over, really, if you think about it. Um, so, we'll see. Either the powers of the right or the powers of the left will prevail, and we know which one's more fucking ascendant in this bastard country. Uh, <laughs> speaking of um, terrifyingly ascendant powers, which should not be named, I have this from Hillary Clinton. But remember... Uh, the Russians invaded Afghanistan uh, back uh, in 1980, and uh, although no country uh, went in, uh, they certainly had a lot of countries uh, supplying uh, arms and advice and even some advisors uh, to those who were recruited to fight Russia. 
it didn't end well for the Russians. Uh, there were other uh, unintended consequences, <laughs> as we know. But the fact is that a very Good. motivated and then uh, funded and armed uh, insurgency uh, basically drove the Russians out of Afghanistan. <laughs> This podcast is dedicated to the just, brave Mujahideen fighters of Afghanistan. <laughs> just fuck all the way off, like Jesus Christ! You know what I mean? Like, oh, it didn't didn't end well for the Russians, no, or anybody else. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, I kind of, I do feel like there's some crucial context missing there. Can't think what it could be though. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> and everyone lived happily ever after. Yeah, that's it. History ended at that point, and for some reason, in that part of the world, never restarted. Um, so that's that's a fun one there. Um, I've got some other faves here. So here's a here's James O'Brien. Oh, giving it, get giving it the sake. No, I, get the fuck <laughs> out, James. Yeah. So as I understand it, the reason why NATO doesn't go straight in, or or, or America doesn't lead NATO straight into uh, a, a de facto confrontation with Russia, this is what I think a no-fly zone would involve, is is twofold. The first is it would allow Putin to claim that his troops were under attack. I think there's a huge difference between NATO attacking Russian troops in Ukraine and NATO attacking Russian troops in Russia. Oh but Putin, I oh think, my... will, 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 will conflate that difference. He'll pretend oh. there is no difference. <laughs> he will successfully in large part, present it to the Russian people as an attack upon oh. Russian people, an attack upon Russian soldiers by Western forces. Now, I, I, it's obviously philosophically, politically and morally an entirely different proposition for NATO to do that on Ukrainian soil than it would be for NATO to do that on oh, Russian soil. But it still fit. somehow allows Putin to claim that his own psychodrama, his own narrative is being proven in that, that we are under threat. NATO are a threat to us. They're not until you invade Ukraine, but he would still be able to claim so. Okay, so we've just defeated Vladimir Putin how? with reason and logic. I see no problems here. How is he How not to fucking, be wrong? How is he a fucking radio <laughs> presenter? It's like a horse learned to talk. <laughs> I do just, you know, I, I love this idea that in the liberal world, the reason you fire the bullet is as important as the firing of the bullet itself. Mm -hmm. Like, in a, it's almost like, you know, it's not right. So here's the thing. Reasons obviously do matter a bit, okay? The reason you do a thing does actually matter. But reasons, motives, they don't have an inherent kind of effect the same as everything else, right? The, the reasons, they, they matter internally. They matter as much as you let them. I, but to the liberal, it's almost as if the reason, the, the surrounding idea, the concepts have a life and strength and power of their own that somehow shines through and compels action. And, you know, I mean, if we go in in any way, shape or form and get into any kind of confrontation with Russia, to the liberal, the fact that we're doing it for the right reasons will stay the Russian, like, hand of response. The problem, the problem they have is that they're completely like it's a failure of imagination. They're completely incapable of conceiving a, an episode of the West Wing where a nuclear war breaks out, so they just can't think that it'll ever happen. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, De depressingly, you might be right there. I do think part of this is is like also because the last like 
20, maybe 30 years of, of modern warfare have, apart from uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, have just been, especially post those two actually, have just been so clinical and removed from society. Like it was, it's just been drones on Yemeni weddings and like special mm. operations teams that just cut ears off, but you don't really get to see any of it. So they just assume that a no-fly zone wherein NATO aircraft start shooting down Russian aircraft would just be the same thing. I genuinely I mean, think the, that that's the part problem, of their brain diseases, essentially. I mean, the problem you have with them is that they believe the the like the stupid shit that they're not supposed to believe. You know what yeah. I mean? Like Blair and Bush said, like, "Oh yeah, Iraq was like the most evil fucking like place in the world, if not the universe," and they could like launch a fucking weapon that would blow up London in forty five seconds or whatever. And that's why we had to go in. And obviously, like, Bush and Blair knew that was horseshit, and everyone at the top knew that was horseshit. But all these, like, fucking no-mark journalists and fucking, like, briefcase wankers, they're just, they're stupid enough to actually believe that shit. Yeah. So as far as they're concerned, like, you know, the fact that Russia is wrong and, like, is doing something evil, that, that means we must fucking oppose them because it's the right thing to do. And we've always done the right thing because they're just too pig shit thick to know that we've never done the right thing that was just always the cover story do you think part of the problem is twofold one they've grown up without consequences a lot of them because increasingly our upper classes um are representing themselves in our media and our politics like predominantly and they're people who've grown up without real consequence ever in their lives personally and then second they've grown up in an era where there was no opposition to the world hyperpower essentially and so the idea of like the u.s having to tangle of an enemy who could inflict real consequences on them and by extension nato and the uk and france and all the constituent parts of it having to tangle they've just never encountered that before so this is like an out of context problem for them because they're historically illiterate do you think that's it they just they just think it's the west wing do you know what i mean like on the west yeah. wing like fucking the guy would say oh russia can't get away with this shit we have to go to war because that would be what that's what the good guys are written to do and so they just they just want to do that you know what i mean Mm. And obviously, you like Aaron yeah. Sorkin would never end a season of The West Wing with like a fucking nuclear Armageddon, and the president going, "Well, I guess we fucked it, lads." Do you know what I mean? So <laughs> they're they're incapable of they're incapable of conceiving that as as an outcome. Do you know what I mean? That would have been a glorious yeah. season end of the end of though, like just the, whatever his name is, the president in The West Wing just shrugging his shoulders, going, "Well, that could have gone better." Fade to black. <laughs> well, I tell, I tell you it, what was fun though was uh, Theo actually with another fucking dipshit at uh, mm. LBC tweeted uh, earlier today that if there was a nuclear exchange uh, it would be Putin's fault and Hissy would remember him as the man who instigated a nuclear <laughs> war and it's like <laughs> okay and who is going to remember this? Are we going to just spell it out in the ashes of our, of our loved ones? Of well, the James, crops James, that will James no longer is, grow? Uh, D- James's Dead Man Switch podcast would be the one thing to remember <laughs> <laughs> Hi, if you're listening to this, we just want to make it clear that someone at some point ended the world and um, history records their names somewhere. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Um, if, I, if I could move on to another interminable dipshit, uh, Dan Hodges said, oh, if people me. want to oppose a no-fly zone, fine. But understand that it is an act of appeasement no different to our appeasement of Hitler in 1938. What? Oh, fuck Do you know what? There's one thing that comes to mind that Hitler didn't have in 1938, <laughs> and that might be a nuclear fucking arsenal. <laughs> we are refusing to do what we know is morally right out of fear. We are prepared to let a free nation die to safeguard ourselves. 
ourselves, uh, everyone remaining in that fucking nation, everyone innocent on the other side of it, like, yeah. Now look, look Alistair, you said... my I know... foot up his fucking arse, like, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> look, Alistair, I know you said that Hitler didn't have a nuclear weapon, but I've played enough Wolfenstein to know that he did have magical powers <laughs> and nuclear weapons, which he did have because them in the future and then time travel to the past. So, you know... We couldn't have done appeasement then either, even though he was nuclear yeah, I mean, armed, even though he wasn't because of the temporal disjunction caused by BJ Blazkowicz. Well, but we all but we all know that what the real reality of 19, 1938 was that the Soviets had the Iron Curtain and nuclear warheads, and uh, the Allies had the chronosphere and the weather machine. So, who's to say really who was the real superpower? Uh, time for another dipshit, Piers Morgan. If the argument against confronting Putin over his illegal invasion is that he might chuck his nukes around, when will anyone ever confront him about anything? I don't want a nuclear war, but nor does he. It's all bullshit designed to scare everyone off, you know and it's working. Do you remember? Oh. Do you remember a few a few years ago when this like fucking like piss-eyed cunt was like fucking rattling <laughs> on about how oh what's the point of having a nuclear deterrent if you won't press the button, Jeremy? Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, everyone who's got a nuclear deterrent needs to, like, fucking guarantee that they will press it, otherwise it's not a deterrent. So he's changed his fucking cuntish tune, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. <laughs> like, these, the, the, the thing that, right, so, today on Twitter, I saw the whole no-fly zone, I'm like, I'll just I'll make a wee tweet just pointing out what a no-fly zone actually means. And I had some guy in my mentions right away going, ah, well, we should just push the button and get it all over with. And he's going to, you know, he won't actually push the button. And if he does, some, some of us will survive and all this kind of horse shit. <laughs> and um, no, I'm going to be real. I'm just going to be real for a second here. I have actually not been afraid, like really afraid of a British public until today. Genuinely. Yeah, fair enough. And I'm not yeah. sh- I'm not. I'm not ashamed to admit, I- I've, like, I've-, I've said I've been like, oh man, but, you know, that's scary. But I've not actually been really afraid until today when I'm seeing this because you could draw a straight line back to these cunts that we're talking about and they are doing this this propaganda manufacture consent bullshit and it's extremely dangerous mm-hmm. because the one thing that could actually force us into a nuclear conflict would be when the populist pressure on our political leaders gets to the point where they feel they don't have an, a, any alternative but to push the button and risk it it's, yeah. and we're we're already seeing like Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson having to fucking say we're not going to get into a no fly zone dispute because that would lead to a nuclear exchange, basically. Like he's he straight up said that today. Yeah. And, you know, he's having to he's obviously very obviously had his level headed like actual advisors pull him into room and go, Boris, we don't care what they say. We can't. There are some things we actually can't do. No, mm-hmm. really, we can't do. And do you know what's funny about that, James? I, th- mm-hmm. I I genuinely like this. I, someone again, someone pointed this out uh, online today. That Boris Johnson has been more level-headed about this than uh, a fucking Labour right have been. Oh yeah, uh, yep. And yeah. it is. Do we do we need to keep referring to them as the Labour right rather than just the Labour Party at this point? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I'm split, splitting fucking hairs with that. But like, you know, if. If Starmer did was fucking prime minister right now, he he his hand would be like hand in glove with fucking Luke the Nuke uh, on the button because and of course that, it would that's be. just terrifying. Yeah, like genuinely terrifying that this no mark fucking politician with no like principles whatsoever would be, you know, just a like gust of wind 
would blow his hand in the right direction of the button and ensure the entire annihilation of all humanity. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's not surprising considering all the levels it's coming from. While I was looking for that uh, James O'Brien clip, I found this ad that had played out in LBC today. Uncritical support to all arms of the Ukrainian military. <laughs> Expedited supplies of weaponry from NATO countries. <laughs> Unrestricted operations launches from NATO airbases. In possession of a no-fly zone over Ukraine. Having your face slowly disintegrate from radiation poisoning. This is not just escalating rhetoric. This is bloodthirsty, middle-class, FBPE rhetoric. Damn, they've really upped the ad length on that, on that show. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to kind of get them sponsors when you consider the kind of cunts that are on it, really. You know, Jamie, I, I, I'm, I suddenly seen what you mean about David being not as clapped as you thought he was. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoyed that? Have a word with yourself. Um, <laughs> so... Um, I think we'll actually, I think we'll skip the article because it's not a long one, yeah. but to be honest, it's just more of the fucking usual. Just read uh, the title and bullshit. then we'll move on. Yeah. What, oh yeah. What okay. The... Um, the, the title was what I learned about Russia and sanctions from eating cheese with an oligarch by Zoe Williams in the Guardian. Fuck Jesus me. Fucking Christ. <laughs> just, just make up your own, just make up your own article at home. I'm yeah. sure it is only going to be better than what we've got, what we're what, skipping. What an absolute fucking rocket like. <laughs> well, speaking of rockets, <laughs> here's one. That, here's one we made earlier. Here is one I did make earlier for you. I read for you earlier, actually. Um, so I thought to take your mind off things, I did think it would be important for us maybe to escape to the last place that has not yet been corrupted by capitalism. <laughs> but ask ourselves the question: What would we do when we got there? I know, I know, I know what we would do. I know what we would do when we got there. We would eat cheese with an oligarch. <laughs> yeah, but whose cheese would it be? I, I say again, I've read for you uh, Space Invaders, Property Rights on the Moon by the Adam Smith Institute's <laughs> Rebecca Lowe. We're privatizing the moon. Yes. <laughs> so. <laughs> do you, just a little half sigh from James there. <laughs> just. Do you think, like, all these fucking GME Wall Street bets people, when they're saying, like, to the moon, that this is what they meant, I wonder? Yes, yes yeah. partly, yes. I mean, basically, the gist of the article is, why is this written, well, roughly because Elon Musk and Virgin Galactic exist, this means the moon will soon uh, be available for colonization. So it's really now, it's very important to establish who gets what and how do we get there. Was there, a, uh, was, was there a Lord Baron TM after that soon? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was like, I could swear I heard like an asterisk clang into place there. <laughs> uh, look, and I know there's like a long-standing UN treaty uh, that calls space and all its resources the common heritage of mankind. Um, so we should have property <laughs> rights, but essentially that would be communism, and it wouldn't work for reasons. So we will need the enforcement of private property rights. 
Um, because otherwise, we also, if we don't have property, private property rights and space property, we wouldn't get to the property. So it's a double bind. So we have to go. Um, because otherwise, there would be no financial incentive for us to go to the moon, even though we went to the moon without a financial incentive. Don't worry about yes. it. It's fine. Um, however, private property rights will not just create moon farms for all of us. We would also have valuable incentives for responsible stewardship of space, as well as opportunities for new scientific discovery, democratized space exploration, and much more. Jesus fucking Christ. Sorry. Right. So, no. Right. I can't. Genuinely sorry. I hate to go off so soon into this article. But responsible stewardship yes looking around this fucking planet right now i certainly feel like this planet is being well fucking stewarded because of capitalism yes we have reasons and incentives for responsible stewardship that's why we're on the brink of a fucking nuclear war yes let's bring this to the moon too god fucking damn it like how can they say that with a straight face well, they're the Adam Smith Institute, so, you know... That's yes, I know. <laughs> Just, I know, I know, but I mean, <laughs> fucking hell. But if you're wondering who uh, is saying this... Just going to turn you... James down on Discord a little bit here. <laughs> <sighs> but in case you're wondering who is saying this at the Adam Smith Institute, here's a little background on the author, uh, Rebecca Lowe. Uh, she wrote her doctoral thesis on moral property rights, which is just... What if you own morality? Was it subtitled A Modest Proposal, by any chance? No, I did not read that no. because even I am not that, you know, terrifying. Um, she was also the inaugural director of FREER, F-R-E-E-R, which was a think tank advancing economically and socially liberal ideas inside the Institute for Economic Affairs. So this is like oh. the second layer of the Russian doll, if you will. They're just, it's freedom inside freedom inside more freedom, freer freedom. Um, the co-founder of this wonderful institute, by the way, was a Tory MP called Lee Rowley, who is currently the chair of the all-party parliamentary group on fracking. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I have a suspicion that Adam Smith would hate these cunts. Yes. Yeah, probably. Um, the, the Freer Institute, by the way, did not last very long. According to Companies House, it was created in May 2014, dissolved itself in, in December 2015, but did still manage to hold events with Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak in 2019 and wrote at least one paper on about unlocking Bitcoin. Uh, so, <laughs> so there's hmm. a bit of background. By the way, she has, apart from her current writing, she has a side gig as well. Uh, she's the current co-founder of a group called Radical, which is a civil rights campaign for freedom and truth for, about matters of sex and gender. And gender is written in uh... quotation marks. From the website of um, Radical, uh, which is oddly uh, not filled, but is just another front organization, uh, it is about fundamental biological truths about men and women. So you can just draw the rest <laughs> of your conclusions from there onwards. Yeah. Anyway, let me let's go back to uh, well, space like, invaders. Just property turfism, right turfism, but with like skateboards or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but only for boys. All right, let me read you a little bit from the introduction of uh, Space Invaders. Uh, everyday space tourism is just around the corner. There is talk of a glass dome colony on Mars. Actors are competing to make the first film on the International Space Station. You can check the fluctuating valuations of the asteroid mining market. Month after month, new technologies enable out-of-this-world advances that were until recently the preserve of science fiction. 
Name mm-hmm. one. <laughs> <laughs> and also, also, there's talk of a dome on Mars. Yeah, fuck off. There's been talk of domes on Mars for like fucking like decades. Do you know I what I mean? I think the Jetsons were living in a dome on Mars, unless I'm much mistaken. Like, it, do you know what I mean? Though it's like, oh, there's been talk of like AI and self-driving cars and fucking jetpacks and robot butlers and, and like. Piece. Do you know what I mean? Like, a hat that makes monkeys, like, speak English. And <laughs> fucking all sorts of stupid shit. Talk you of know, is not a... Talk of is not a metric for fucking, like, human progress. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Do you know, there's a, there's a folk story among certain peoples that says that orangutans can actually speak. It's just they won't do it around humans. Because if we knew that they could speak, we'd put them to work. And... Um, <laughs> They're just much happier, yeah. yeah. If we if we knew they, they could speak, we'd try and sell them JPEGs of themselves. <laughs> <laughs> then there are the big moral questions lying underneath, questions we have puzzled over for millennia. What is it to be human? How should we relate to each other and the other animals and things in our world? The freshness of space, barely explored, never mind significantly inhabited or altered by us, offers an unrivaled opportunity to revisit some of these big questions. Space oh, is a no. real-world thought experiment. Oh my god, what? <laughs> I mean, also just leaving out the fact that, for example, the bits of space that we have been to, we have absolutely ruined the shit out of, like, <laughs> yes. putting all of our garbage up there. <laughs> One topic in I urgent... Wonder if, I wonder if that's a metric that we might be applying to the rest of the shit that we end up going to, if <laughs> ever. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really piss off Kate here. Hello, Kate, sorry about this, but space sucks. Yes. Literally, it's a giant it's a giant vacuum. It sucks. There's nothing like We cannot live there. We will die there. We will we do yeah. die there if we stay there. And people like I hate to break this to everyone, but there's all these sci-fi fantasies about oh we're gonna go to other planets which are like Earth and they'll be inhabitable and stuff, but for real, if you find a planet which has an ecosystem on it, that ecosystem will almost certainly kill you instantly. Yes. Or you will kill it more yes. or less instantly, because we are built to survive along organisms we've basically evolved alongside. Well, James, James, what we need to do is we need to find one planet that will kill us, and one planet that we'll kill, and then we send half our guys to one planet and half our guys <laughs> to another planet, and presumably another planet somewhere will have all those mushed together on a planet that we can live on. What I really like no. is the idea that even if we go to space and take our property rights with us, we will also take mutually assured destruction on a planetary scale <laughs> with us again. Um, I'm just like, I'm just enjoying the idea that like we land on the alien world and worst case scenario, we all fall sick and die really quickly, right? Or, or best case scenario, right? Some bacteria or virus we're holding on our own spacecraft just gets into local ecosystem and it just all starts fucking dying. I really have to quickly. say, it is kind of funny, the thought of, like, accidentally taking a shit and wiping out an entire planet worth of life. Well, I mean, well, if, uh, James, if you're it, talking about bringing bacteria over where there are l- very low resistances, the philosophical strain of this piece is very much in the line of, oh, let's say what happened when we went to the Americas. But yeah, that, but that, that would be probably, good, actually. But the, the problem is, like, you know... The, the ecosystems that we get to will just like either like kill us or be destroyed by us, and there won't be there won't be anything left. You're getting ahead of yourself though, because like we're not we're not going to get to the point where we find an ecosystem. Do you know what I mean? We're going to just be selling <laughs> fucking like Bitcoin on the moon for the next like two thousand yeah, years. I, I, yeah, I do want to yeah, stress, this is my point. James. This is why we're space not talking sucks. about like far like 
extra planetary, extra stellar stuff. What is most critical right now is that we establish uh, property rights on the moon because legally claims to yeah, ownership but, are morally justified. But this is this is a thing, right? Up until you get to a point where you're actually meeting alien life, space sucks. There's nothing there. There's nothing like, oh, we could get more resources and bring them back to Earth to continue doing the same sh old shit we've already been doing. Yes. You know? But once you do meet aliens, space still sucks because you're probably, like, not just incompatible with them biologically, but ultimately, <laughs> so like, threats. Yeah. Well, first of all, you can't fuck the aliens. Second of all, like... Well, I'm you, sure you're mutually will figure it out. Yeah, I know. You know what I mean? <laughs> mutually assured yeah. destruction to each other. So it's like, have space you met, sucks. Have you met the human race? <laughs> there is no point in going into space until we sort our own shit out first. It's like... Well, Whitey on uh, the moon. But there is, though, because there's, there's real estate on the moon, and no one's using that, so, like, there's value to be there's a value to be added there. Exactly. So, there is the oh. UN Outer Space Treaty, which in Article 2, I'll just read it very quickly, the exploration and use of outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, shall be carried out for the benefit and interest of all countries, irrespective of their degree of development, and shall be the province of all mankind. However, says this piece, uh, this doesn't uh. really count, because what we don't really <laughs> know, legally speaking, is what the benefit and interest of all countries really means, and we don't know what that clause means for ownership. So as I, as I said, now is the time to change things and talk about property rights on the moon. Why? Because Elon Musk, uh, because there was a executive order in the Trump presidency that stated American citizens should, quote, have commercial rights in space. And apparently the Chinese <laughs> want to start space mining as well. And the UK has published its national space strategy, which was a very serious document we read for the podcast uh, on episode 105. <laughs> it's on the Patreon, the Norm's Isley Cantina. Um, and the most important thing is why we need to do this now is we must tackle the free rider problem posed by Russia and China because they but won't what? live up to the lofty ideals democracies would set for property rights and they would do bad things <laughs> to moon property. Like, basically, what this translates to is capitalists are fine with the idea of there not being property rights in a place only until they figure out how to make property rights over a place, at yeah. which point they're not okay with it anymore. Right, so let me read I you again a little bit the from idea. the... Yeah, go, sorry, David. No, I just, I love the idea that, like, they consider the Russian ideals of ownership to be remotely incompatible with capitalism. It's a fucking oligarchy. They know how it works. <laughs> right, but let me read you how it would work, why Russia and China wouldn't actually work, because you can't establish a morally justified property regime uh, because Russia yes. and China would uh, uh, don't have a rights-based classical liberal account. Their decision-making is illegal because it lacks citizen participation. You see? So, whereas our societies, <laughs> um, where we as citizens definitely participate in the decision-making process, witness the last 20 or 30-odd years of hell that we've been living in, our citizen participation is, of course, I great. think I remember um, direct democracy coming in for every single issue known to, like, Western Europe. Yeah, it's called voting with your wallet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, it's the, it's the whole Disco Elysium caricature of liberals. Like, they're moralists. It's all about a moral issue when you mm. drive it down to fundamentals. And what it basically comes to is the only moral capitalism is our capitalism. Right. And if you're That's wondering it. what, like, a moral regime for property rights is, that has to do with luck. And we'll get there in a moment. But in the meantime, mm. we could say that what we should be doing is... Uh, 
upgrading or updating the UN Outer Space Treaty. But we're not going to do that for reasons which are too long and too stupid to go into. So instead, we're going to try something new, quote unquote, an individualistic approach. Um, now, these individualistic approaches would only work and be good in democratic countries because they can pass democratic individual space laws about having property on the moon and which bit of the moon is the UK's or the Americans. So we could do that nationally. Um, and authoritarian regimes like the Russians and the Chinese don't have democratic legitimacy. So they pa them passing a space law saying the dark side of the moon belongs to us doesn't actually count. You see? Yeah, because the dark side of the moon belongs to the cube that's there, as yes. Jamie has previously also, established. <laughs> also that. And also, um, individuals and companies that take the risk to go to the moon uh, deserve space property essentially as a treat uh, because they took mm -hmm. the risk to get there. You know, much like we deserve to take the Americas because we took a boat there and then, you know, killed off everybody. Um, again, I'm just bringing this historical context up because we're going to be talking about Locke in just a moment. Uh, so, and the citation why we deserve space property is Britain has satellites in space and therefore Britain has rights to s space property rights. That's how that works. I love, I love this idea that we can sort this all out nationally. Like, okay, David, I'm a nation and you're a nation. David, I vote that I should get three quarters of the moon. That's what my that's what my citizens have decided, and my citizens are sovereign. What about your citizens? What have they decided, David? Fuck you. <laughs> oh no. Um, well, I, I guess we're in a war now. I mean, my my response would be like, yeah, fill your fucking boots. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you so can have three quarters of the fucking moon that's now there, but dust. <laughs> yeah, that dust is valuable, as it turns out, is a problem. Right. Uh, and not only that, who, so who like individuals... So? Like, fucking, is it the same people that say J ape, ape JPEGs are valuable? Because I don't no, trust those fucking people in their decision-making process. Moon dust is filled with an isotope of helium that is actually quite valuable helium in like, nuclear... Yeah, yeah in, nuclear and in nuclear processes, including developmental research into nuclear fusion. So Man, Moon was a great movie. It was. Apart from the Kevin Spacey Hellbot. So moon property rights in this document derive out of, uh, you know, how do you create property rights out of thin air? Well, that is essentially, again, we're doing lock here, is you have a, a, you have, you as an individual, as a person, have a moral right to a piece of moon land. Why? And let me quote again from the piece. If you believe that your ownership of a little dog toy that you made for yourself out of your wood from your garden should be respected by other people regardless of whether that ownership is formally protected by the law of the country you live in, then you believe in moral property rights. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I love to just confuse uh, property with possessions for a start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> personal, versus, personal versus private property, there's no distinction whatsoever. And essentially, because we all believe in these existing moral property rights, that created national property rights law. Because we all just think... That in this analogy, the moon farmland, which is definitely a thing, is the same as the little wooden <laughs> toy that I made with the sticks in my backyard, and therefore the moon land is also mine. Is it is? I mean, it is the most amazing exemplar of this whole principle in action, which is this idea that this, the toothbrush that you own and use every day is just as much yours um, as this strip of land that you've never even visited, seen, or beheld, but you own on paper. And therefore, you have the rights to, to dispose of either as you choose, including charging people rent 
on either of them if they were to use them. It's that, but the, the bit of land you've never seen is the fucking moon. I just it's yeah. really amazing but stuff. Even on the moon, we must admit that like in comparison to like a lot of other goods which can be made and made again, a moon land is also scarce, right? There's only a finite amount of moon land, and James has claimed two th- three quarters of it, and David has claimed fuck you, so there's already a problem. So you can't just say, I want them. Uh, you need a better reason to claim land for yourself. It's a scarce good that everybody needs and depend on. Depends on. Now let me read you again from the article to, to clarify things for you. To this end, let's compare land and apples. It's it's true. And it's true. You win, Rob. Let's go. It's true that you cannot possibly lay any claim to my apple once I've eaten it. And moreover, while the apple is hidden away in my fridge crisper drawer, you won't be likely to access it. Nonetheless, it is hard to see my relationship with that particular apple as being the overriding factor determining the fact that you don't have an apple of your own. You can always find apples and I'm not stopping you. Bar the, uh, the arrival of a new apple tree killing disease, my owning an apple isn't really, per se, getting in the way of this, you acquiring an apple much like, like mine. What the fuck is happening? Am we I having a stroke? We Why? wore apples on our belt, which was the style at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so again, like, apples are not as scarce good because we can just make more apples, but Moonland is scarce. Therefore, when the I space... Mean, l- the thing is, though, that they're saying, like, oh, the fact that I have an apple doesn't stop you from having an apple. You can just go and find an apple. And it's like, yeah, except all of you cunts always want to own all of the fucking apples, don't you? Do you know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, no, you can't, you, can't have, you can't have an apple. I'm busy hoarding these. What, what's that? Did you say uh, this book called Grapes of Wrath? You own all the apple trees and own all the land that apple trees could be grown upon and then you're overproducing apples which i can't afford and therefore you're covering them in kerosene and setting them alight so that i can't eat the apples which you don't need um hmm i don't know uh probably probably nothing there probably i'm, nothing gonna, to I'm worry gonna buy up all the grapes and then it's going to be alistair presents grapes of wrath right <laughs> then, again but in contrast to the apples space Land ownership is different because uh, Moon... Let me read it again from you from the article. When the space land ownership framework is set out in the rest of this article, Moon land shall be focused on as the exemplar issue because we are aware that there are constraints of scarcity on Moon land. Um, So how do you create a property market, a space property market on the Moon? Uh, and essentially, here we come back to. I, I mean, warned many you. people are asking this. <laughs> uh, uh, I warned you, we were going to go into Locken here. She does a brief and quite stupid summary, but I'll just Do summarize you mean, what she's when saying. You're saying. When you're saying Lock, is that short for Lockheed Martin Rob? Because I guarantee mm. you that's what it comes <laughs> down to in practice. No, I'm talking about the uh, 17th century um, philosopher who was writing at the time when the English were starting their great colonial experiences and said. All right, what that, did he say know, about the moon? Uh, <laughs> um, right, so very briefly, Locke and property rights. Uh, people uh, oh, need and want many of the things, and the best way to get them and ensure societal survivor is for humans to enter into exclusive and exclusionary relationship with those of the things. So exclusive in the sense of it is purely mine, and exclusionary in the sense of it is mine and therefore not yours, because making it mine 
makes me want to improve the moon land and build a moon farm on it. Whereas if it wasn't mine, but everybody's, I wouldn't do improvements on it. And that how do I claim moon land, therefore, in this particular thing is I would go to the moon. And if I was the first one there and needed moon rocks to eat for my moon supper, I would have a justified claim to moon land. You're saying that... the word moon an awful lot, and it's really throwing me <laughs> off, Right, for real, Locke's property uh, discourse can basically be boiled down to the word dibs. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so much like the, the, the wooden toy, and unlike the apple, the way to acquire land is to add labor to it. This makes it morally yours. So if, if I start cultivating a piece of my moon property, that makes it mine, and it creates a property right. And uh, furthermore, there's also no limit to how much property one person can hold, because at some point it turns from subsistence into commercial asset, and that creates money. And money circulating is good for everybody in society. So therefore, there should be no limit on how much moon land or actual land you can hold, or you know how many vast swathes of the Americas you can hold while you are exterminating the native populations. If you're talking about Locke in his you know, current time. So, <laughs> and essentially, uh, having definitely shown that Lockean way of looking at property rights are the best way of doing these rights, let's, uh, let us go to the moon. Um, and I want to be clear, we're only, we're only talking... simply go to the moon. <laughs> but only talking about actual moon property, not asteroids or part of the space vacuum itself, which... <laughs> You have to like, own the transient space around the Earth. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't Can believe you... how much fuck all I own. <laughs> Huge, vast swathes of fuck all are mine. Can you own literal a literal vacuum? It is. This is a conundrum. So, according to the Adam Smith Institute and Rebecca Lowe, uh, moon ownership is conditional. So you have to do something with it. You can't just sit on it or actively make them your moon property worse. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how fucking long that lasts if it ever. And like, and just for, just one question: How like the the whole like entirety of property rights is uh, enforced with <laughs> well force? So how exactly are we going to enforce property rights on the moon? Are we going to have people like? Are we going to have private corporations launching like tactical strikes on neighboring lots of moonland? I can only assume it's going to be a lot more like the expanse than uh, this person is letting on. <laughs> mm -hmm. Also, also, I have to say, um, you know, you've got to be doing something with it economically. So, does this mean the Adam Smith Institute is coming out against land speculators and landlords generally? Uh, not really. Uh, we, there is such a thing as moon rent. We'll we'll get into later. Um, <laughs> just going to append moon to everything that exists. Moon landlord, moon desk, moon microphone, for example, moon podcast. <laughs> but uh, Alistair, in answer Hello, to your, I'm Moon David, and welcome to Moon Casting in Praxis. <laughs> moon uh, party. What a time to be alive. My my pronouns are moon and luna. <laughs> uh, but Alistair, in answer to your question, how would we settle disputes? Well, property moon property disputes would be settled by Earth <laughs> would be settled by Earth courts. <laughs> I assume this is until they set up a moon court. The moon but, I mean, Earth court. I, but on the other hand, if you think about it, uh, uh, if you listen back to our previous episode, this is yet another case where uh, Lambert Opic and the courts of Asgardia become very, very useful. 
Oh. <laughs> Let me open this thing now. My time has finally come. <laughs> um, so yeah, so uh, you got to do something with the Moonland, and your basic your your the most important claim would be that you have an urgent need for space land um, or Moonland. <laughs> Uh, and that would be if you need it for shelter or cultivation. So if you land on the moon with nothing to your name except a shovel, you have a primary claim on Moonland because you need it the no, most. No, you have a problem. You can't breathe there. <laughs> yeah, don't like worry the about that. Like shelter on the moon from what? Like the, 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 <laughs> the vacuum of fucking space. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're calling it Ultra New Zealand. And if you're if you're mm-hmm. questioning what is an urgent lead, need for moonland in the current circumstance, because presumably the first owners, quote unquote, can't really move in, build shelter, or farm there, I'll give you the answer from the report. Nonetheless, it is reasonable to assume that there will come a time when the human race will need to seriously consider the option of inhabiting other celestial bodies on mass. Have we just mm-hmm. have we run out of land on Earth to speculate with? Is that the <laughs> oh, issue? Also here? that, yes. Can we can we just skip the moon and go straight to Venus? Just die in the, like hundreds of degrees acid clouds there because that that sounds more appealing, yeah. frankly. I mean, uh, you don't need to go to Venus for that. You could just wait. <laughs> <laughs> so there yeah, are of all, course all I need. All I need is for a strike to hit London and then for a prevailing easterly wind to really take <laughs> take uh, take me out. So the you know of course the most so the most logical thing is for you to have an urgent claim to moon farmland, uh, which is more important than a paper claim made on Earth, because when you get there with your shovel, it's fine. The other way, of course, if you need moon property, is you can just pay a little bit of moon rent to your moon landlord. This is genuinely thing that is speculated upon in this piece. I, I have to ask, is the word moon appended to as many words as you're leading me to believe in the actual article itself? Not quite no, it's as many, but <laughs> More than you think there should be, essentially. Um, <laughs> a non-zero amount, okay. Yeah. Uh, basically, we should create a legitimate system of ownership that goes beyond uh, simple needs and urgent needs, and that should be, quote-unquote, minimally democratic. Uh, as in... <laughs> I love minimal democracy. <laughs> yeah, it's very lean. It's very Six Sigma democracy. That's what we're after today. <laughs> Uh, and once we have this legitimate system in place, uh, based on respecting the rights of other people, representative democracy, and uh, the rule of law, uh, we have that system naturally and property rights. We would vastly, quote unquote, vastly increase societal prosperity. Um, oh, so- we're gonna, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna solve political problems with uh, tech utopianism. Fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. As as we've said before launching into space digging up a bunch of fucking moon rocks and paying rent on that shit is going to solve all of the fucking material and political and social issues on earth right now mm-hmm. awesome thank you thank you for solving the moon problem <laughs> um, but if you were wondering i want to get bref- briefly back to the conundrum posed by james and david uh, james saying my people have voted that i own three quarters of the moon and david saying fuck you um so there is, and while the author has spent the first half of the pamphlet, this pamphlet rubbishing international agreements, let me quote again, uh, applied in real life, the only way we would get an individualistic framework for property rights would be through an international process. Huh. So <laughs> if everybody could just get together 
and agree on a property rights management system on the moon, it would be fine. But not the existing treaty that calls it the common ownership of all mankind. It would be... We need to call it the lunar ownership of all mankind. Mm, exactly. The moon, the, moon, the moon Property Rights Act. <laughs> There's a fantastic bit of hand-waving as well. Uh, let me read you the following quote. This, this has been nothing but fucking hand-waving, though, really, isn't it? If we, yeah, if yeah, we could but... all... I mean... If we could all get together and agree on a thing, then that thing would like work, wouldn't it? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if I could shit into a bin from 20 paces away, I'd have a career in the circus. <laughs> don't give up on your dreams, Jamie. Also, this, this, don't this, does have have the, this does have the energy of, like, a really, really poorly thought out and overly researched Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> Let me read you a little, a little aside here. This author shall leave gaps in the framework representing the need for humanity to determine together the details of matters such as legitimate methods for acquiring space property rights or for the members of political societies <laughs> to determine these details oh God, independently I'm... as appropriate. I'd love oh, to have an international, an international <laughs> agreement with, bit, with pages that have been left intentionally blank. Yes. No, it's not intentionally blank. It's TBD. <laughs> yeah, but how it, did we achieve this consensus on moon property rights? Through jihad. Would this say on Bail Organa, I think? <laughs> <laughs> However, it is very important here. Um, she introduces another element, essentially uh, a, a Georgist theory of land that, like... Uh... If you think if you Georgism is essentially what if cap capitalism very very good the one thing wrong with capitalism being landlords so how do you stop landlordism and rentier extraction that is to add Guillotines. a value <laughs> almost it is to add a value tax on land and the the value of the tax goes up the more the land is increased in value regardless of your own well, actions they get, on they, the land they get they get points for like getting one of the problems, right, I guess. Yeah, so the, the idea would be no one would have a permanent right or claim on their moon land. Everybody would always pay rent. Who do we? What, who would we pay this rent to and what would we do with it? Uh, essentially, we would pay owners to... We would all pay moon rent to, quote-unquote, the whole of humankind, again, from the treaty. Um, <laughs> don't worry about how the distributional effects would work, etc. That's not uh, the within the scope of the paper. And this would mm -hmm. require the consent of everybody on the planet to determine what we would do with the moon rent we would receive back on Earth from all the properties there. So oh, that well, would as, long be as, as long as it's a workable plan... <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's perfectly workable. What we, what we basically said is, step one, establish one world government. Step two, and uh, yeah, like that that works. Yeah, great. I agree. Let's set up a one world government where we can all agree on how things are to be spent and done. And uh, then we can divide up the moon. Yeah. Sure. See, all we have to do is go to Area 51 and activate Icarus, and then we have a one world government, <laughs> and then uh, it'll be fine. So I know, I know, I know. Look, I know, I know. We've been we've been rubbishing this person and their simple solution for, you know, uniting the entire planet in a common get common goal. But I have a very simple solution, and it is simple. It's quite simply a dictatorship of the commentary. Uh, commentary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Alistair, what if, we live there now. What if we live there everywhere? <laughs> 
I'm not even gonna try. Let me take that one. You're never, you're never gonna live that one down. No. That is staying in the edit, and we are pulling that out on future episodes. <laughs> Alistair wants a dictatorship of a commentary. To Fantastic. be fair, I think if if there is a way of describing the current British government and who's actually in yep. charge, a dictatorship of the commentariat is not a bad way of phrasing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Perfect. and if and if you're wondering, well. What would we use the, uh, our moon rent for? Because it would be for all mankind, right? So how would it work? Well, let me read you the following. The renters of Moonland plots should pay their rent into a fund that enab- enables other individuals on Earth to compete against them for the same plots. Of course. What? Yes. How, how does that work in practice? What? Sorry. So, hang on. I'm going to pay tax on land on the moon, right? Yeah. Whilst I do economic activity on the moon, which is going to subsidize my competition. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is... That a- is their grand plan. Of course, this is not technically rent in the standard sense, as it is not paid to actual owner or owners. Rather, the approach is based on the premise, on the recognition, that everybody has equally strong potential claims to the land. So what you're doing is, if you're the first moon colonist, you want to drag up more people who could compete on your moon claim, so together we would build a better society because the people paying the most rent would obviously have the best idea of what to do with the land. This just sounds like a lot of extra steps. Like, (laughs) just don't charge the rent and don't let them jack the prices. Do price controls and don't let them be fucking charging rent and then you've solved this problem anyway. Yeah, Yeah, and also just don't go to the moon. Also, yes. (laughs) But I, I think you'll find, David, is that I will not be selling my precious moon apples to you, which are an infinite uh-huh. resource, you know, uh-huh. if you are coming to take my moon apple space farm. Isn't this isn't this an obfuscated Ponzi scheme? I mean, I know the answer's probably yes, but let me <laughs> let me run through this. So you're first on the moon. Uh-huh. A portion of them a portion of your earnings from that work on the moon is set aside and paid to people to come up and work on the moon no, as it well. Goes, it goes to a bank account owned for, by everybody back on Earth for the common good of mankind. But that right, money but would no, be practice, used to been... ferry more of people to the moon to do things. Right, so that money... Basically, a portion of my funds are held back, then they're split up and given to other people to get them up here. Yeah. Which means in practice, by a circuitous method, I am essentially paying... I'm paying the wages of a bunch of people to come up and work on the moon, who will then pay tax, right? And then they will bring more people up to the moon, yes. Right, but this is all contingent, more or less, on the first person up there, the money they make, their initial stake, if you will, rolling downhill, so to speak, for it to work. Yes, trickling down, maybe, even, if you will. Mm. Yeah. So, this is this what is shape is the moon? <laughs> I mean, the thing the thing is, I don't understand how like some just this is like what I was saying earlier about like the fucking how the libs just believe the shit they say when it's like clearly you know what I mean they they when they heard it first from someone who was using it as an excuse or a cover story. Because here's this dipshit writing about how, oh, well, we tax people on the moon 
so that we can then like create a fairer moon society by like getting more people up to the fucking moon. But like, you know, on first contact with a capitalist, the the tax is going to mysteriously vanish when it turns out that their moon farm is actually like quartered in like, do you know what I mean? Like fucking Belgium or some shit. <laughs> yes. That's moon Belgium to you, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> so this all, this basically this whole idea rests on the principle that the second generation following the first generation and paid from basically capital seed funds out of the first generation's taxes are going to be able to potentially rise to outcompete the first generation. Um, but in practice, going, their own growth is going to be constrained by the degree of growth of the first one up there. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it is, it's not even, you know what, calling it an obfuscated Ponzi scheme isn't doing it justice. It's basically saying whoever gets to the moon first becomes God Emperor of the Moon. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, essentially, sort of, but what I think the author is trying to envision is more like the homesteading rush in, like, the US, you know, where they would just, like, parcel out bits of land and they would just literally send people in wagons and whoever got there first could claim the piece of land. I think that's the way it's being envisioned. So, like, not that there's one guy on the moon, but that there's many guys on the moon. For certain certain definitions have got there first, at least, yeah. Right, so kind of right. So sorry, let me fill in my thinking here and lay this out. So the first person up there carries up a bunch of infrastructure, right? Because you can't live on the moon. Everything has to. I mean, be has anyone tried? Uh, well, yes. they did build that little temple there, so somebody tried. Um, anyway, <laughs> but like, no. So the first person goes up there. They bring a bunch of infrastructure. They set up their operations. They start work on the moon. The scale of our activities is constrained by the size of what they've been able to bring up to the moon, right? And what we're able to build up there with the tools they've brought up there. And that's pretty much it. You can't really grow beyond there without bringing stuff back from Earth. But that's okay, because you buy more shit with the profits you're making. However, you pay a tax on these profits, and this tax is used to bring up someone else, right? That other person starts work on the moon. But here's the problem. They can't organically outgrow the first person, because them getting to the moon was contingent on a share of that first person's like profits, a tax, like a 5%, 10%, whatever it is, skimmed off the top. Well, and as we've established, you can't organically grow on the moon. You have to purchase stuff well, back down. James, so there is no potential to outgrow the first let person me, who let is Let me there. throw one more wrench into like your perfectly legitimate complaint. Is There is also a line in this paper that says you can keep 100% of the profits you make on your moon land. So I'm not really sure where that rent money is going to be coming from also you know so i'm not really sure also there's one more bit of it that does make it work because i see what you mean essentially you create one giant moon landlord and everybody else who comes after just has to suck it well essentially um you're discounting lockean property rights again because uh if i arrive dirt poor and merely with a with a shovel in my moon hand um my need for shelter and sustenance supersedes your claim on Moonland if you are just exploiting it. Because I have a basic need for survival, which trumps no, but your that, paper that, claim to the entirety. Yeah, but it, it also, sorry, lock-in property rights are your ability to work it. You show up with a shuttle, I uh, with a shuttle, you show up with a shovel, I have an industrialized machine that's going hell for leather across the moon with my own employees, etc. I can better work the land than you can by definition. Like, this whole thing breaks down on contact. It explodes because 
development on the moon cannot <laughs> organically <don't> grow. <laughs> like in, in, in the in the West, right? Let, let's let's take this model around and let's apply it to American frontier and let's as the capitalists did, let's forget about the natives for the sake of going through this, right? So I turn up to work a farm out west. I grow my farm and it is self-sustaining after a point. Like there is organic growth takes place because it is a hospitable environment. That's what makes it valuable, right? And then let's say I pay a tax and that tax gets another settler to come out west. That settler can potentially overtake me because their growth, their development in that hospitable land could be better done than mine and can organically grow itself. The resources I need are all there. Except the moon mist doesn't work because there's no such thing as any kind of a gro organic self-sustaining growth. There's no life on the moon. So it can never overtake. You're fixed at whatever subsistence kind of, whatever the tax is giving you is going to be the main constraint on your growth. If you're being given like X amount with which to get to the moon and build infrastructure, right, then that is the scale of your growth. You're not going to be able to purchase more materials from back on Earth to expand um, beyond the, in proportion to the tax of initial seed fund you're given, because the machines are the direct limit on the amount you can grow. And by which I mean mechanically extract, you're not growing anything up there. So the whole thing immediately implodes because there is no potential for organic growth to outpace things. It's a sterile, dead environment in which you're having to spend funds to yeah, live. But I think you're being a bit too practical. And I think the first thing we need to do is get these property <laughs> rights up there and then we'll worry about the rest. So, uh, uh, like, essentially, this sort of it's this sort of idiotic cul-de-sac, right? Like, essentially, this paper just stops and says, "Yeah, somebody else will figure that out," but only democracies <laughs> will, because Russians and Chinese are not valid because they're not democracies, etc. The thing that I, why I wanted to read this, apart from it being stupid and funny, is essentially much with the the bored apes and the NFTs and the Web three and all this shit, which is more <sighs> TF's thing. Uh, like capitalism is always in need of a frontier and more shit to exploit and things to to grow into. This is just another one. Yeah. You can create an imaginary pool of moonland titles at first, which you can trade with each other, presumably already, and then assign them to countries which would create a global market for hypothetical moon rights in case we do ever go there because and we would be able to survive there, which we can't, but hey, why not? Um, so, like, this is just essentially another way for... Like, capitalism is just frantically searching for a frontier to exploit because the the system is collapsing before our very eyes. It doesn't work otherwise. Yeah, we have no more frontiers. At, at some point, we switched from searching for... from searching for frontiers by which we could create expansion, et cetera, et cetera, and growth, to searching for what sounds like a plausible frontier so we could scam the next dude yes. to get his money. Yes, yes. And I guarantee you, by the way, if, that, uh, if it turns out that there are native peoples of some stripe or variety on the actual moon, we would use this but exact framework over this. to wipe them the fuck out and take their shit. Because mm. they wouldn't be considered people because they wouldn't have you know, 17th century democracy, they would have whatever it is they have, and that would not be... This is... We would just this discount is the same. Just to really drive home, listen to how vile all of this is, um, the, the whole dialogue about Palestine being unworked land, essentially, yeah. therefore justifying Israel mm. coming in, that's where this shit comes from. Yeah, that's same exactly what this mm. is. That's exactly what this is. It's This is also, by the way, this comes straight from Locke, who says land before property rights is in a state of nature and that is essentially yeah. just like pristine landing you can just grab it and when the english 
you know, went to North America and the Spanish went, they all just said, oh, look, it's a state of nature because they said um, the native peoples weren't Christian, therefore they weren't human beings, therefore anything they owned, they didn't really own because they couldn't, because philosophically they were like the animals. So that's why yeah. we can just take their shit. Um, yeah, you know, moral basis for doing what you want. Yeah. And essentially, one more thing I wanted to add to this is like, yeah, this is obscure horseshit now that sounds like a joke, and it is a joke. But if we do ever, you know, it is totally hypothetical, and I know all the limitations, we talked about them, some global megacorp is able to go to the moon and like stick a flag in it, they're going to need some form of justification for what it is they're doing. And hey, look, somebody has written an obscure piece that says what you're doing is okay. That's part of the mission yeah. of, of the Adam Smith Institute and these other think tanks. It is to lay an intellectual groundwork for like unimaginable horror and cruelties. And then by the time we do actually get there, a couple decades down the line, the frameworks exist and you can just do whatever the fuck you want to, you know, think the project for the new American century, which worked for 10 or 20 years to lay the intellectual groundwork for invading Iraq. And by the time, you know, circumstance made it possible, the frame was there and they had their people in the right place. This is just, you know, that, but at one further stuff um, removed. And so the, I, the reason for that they hand wave all the difficult stuff and all the bullshit is not just because the author doesn't understand what they're talking about and doesn't understand physics mm -hmm. or anything, is because they know beforehand there will be no international agreement on the common heritage of mankind and how you apportion up the moon, because of course you would never get to such an agreement. And I think this mm. paper is just an ex-ante justification for Amazon literally building a moon base. I think that's, you yeah, have to see this it in is, this way. This is the first step in the manufacture of consent. Yes. And it starts the in obscure, stupid this... pieces that nobody reads except, well, me. And I think Riley from <laughs> TF read it as well. Yeah, and the second step then follows when this starts being talked about in serious circles, and then the papers start talking about it and start referencing this discussion in serious circles. If you want an example of this, um, there is a, a fucking fascist involved with the Russian government who wrote like a paper on how Russia should basically take Ukraine amongst other places, and um, that was basically boiling for years and years and years, and we're now seeing the fruition of it today. Like This is how this shit happens. It starts with some crank somewhere says something, but when he catches someone's ear who's important, the important people start talking about it, and then the papers start talking about it and quoting from it, and it must be serious because it's been taken serious by serious people. Yeah. So in a few years, look forward to a uh, World Economic Forum session in Davos uh, about moon property rights. Lunar Economic Forum? Yes, lunar, the Lunar Economic Forum. See, there you go. It'll be there in, in, in 10 years or so from now. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so even when we do finally escape uh, this Earth, we will still not be able to escape capitalism. And on that, you know, yep. I think that's enough of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, fuck liberal capitalism. Fuck uh, moralism. Free the moon. Free Revishal. <laughs> All right. I think uh, that'll do us for this episode. Uh, we've been going long enough. 100%. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Jesus. 
So you can catch about nearly fucking 40 hours of VOD of uh, <laughs> James playing Elden Ring on, on Twitch. Um, it's all there. Get it while it's hot. Uh, Twitch.tv forward slash PraxisCast. And I'll be back at it again this Friday. For fuck's sake. Um, <clears throat> we've also got other streams happening there as well. Jamie and Alistair will also be on uh, in the usual slot on Monday and Thursday evenings from half seven. And uh, yeah, join the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash PraxisCast, where we will have new bonus episodes out for you in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and you can already listen to an episode where we talk about the UK space strategy. Yes, yes. Terrible, terrible strategy of space. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Goodbye, everybody. Cheerio. Noon, goodbye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs)